Hi, Good Scott. morning, Christy. Hi. How are you? Okay, Good. give me a high five. That's Excellent. our thing. Super. Yeah. I love the memory verse. It's a good one. It is. It's a good well, one. not just that. I just love the fact that we get to do it together. Yeah. And uh, it's fantastic. So I can tell you right now, church, there are more than 40 kids here, all right, that are going away. So um, they're going to come back because you're going to get them. Christy, we have Hi. a few things we need to we tell do. the church about. Yeah, so this is three-ish things. Let you know about ways you can get connected, plug in. Um, the first one is uh, the Kairos Blanket Exercise. We hosted this event in the fall, I believe. Yep. Um, and I was able to attend uh, with my husband and my youngest daughter. Um, and basically what this is, is a very interactive and immersive way to learn about colonization and how the country we know as Canada actually came to be. And so you're going to come into the room, you're going to sit in a big circle, and you're actually going to read a small script. So everyone gets a page with a number, and as we go through the history, you each get a part to read. And then you step on this big floor of blankets, and basically what they do is, as time goes by, as colonization happens, they take away blankets. And then people get sick. And by the end of it, there's four people left, and they're standing on this much. And so it, it was very impactful. Um, I would highly encourage you to give it a try. Um, it's a very safe environment. There's, there's food. Um, and there's also a debrief at the right? Got to get you with the food. There's a debrief at the end as well, which um, everyone goes around the circle and just basically shares how they were impacted. Um, it's a place where you can ask hard questions and not and be safe with that. So I looked on the way here. There's seven spots left. So there's 30 max. We've got seven places. It's up on the website, on the events page. We really encourage you to try it out. Yeah, I can't say enough. It is is worth your time to go. I went last year as well. Didn't know what to expect, but uh, it is is great. And we as a church, we we live, we work, we play uh, here on this uh, traditional land, and we need to understand it and know it. So this is a great way for us just to be able to comprehend a little bit more of how we've impacted the people around us and how the people around us impact us. Second, the second three-ish thing I have today is I'm doing a book uh, book club here this spring. It shouldn't be March 25th. I should have changed that. It actually starts on April 25th. And uh, yeah, it's a, yesterday. I know, that was yesterday. Everybody joined? No. Um, uh, and so if you, oh, that one's right. Oh, that one's wrong. Oh, okay. See, we look back here. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, that's wonderful. Please read that. Uh, this is a great book. I can't say enough. If, if, even if you don't want to do the book club, you still should pick up a book. They're, they're, they're cheap by $25, $24. You can grab one. You can pay at the uh, Brew Life. And just would encourage you, it's a fantastic book on prayer. Those questions you have about prayer, why doesn't God answer my prayer? Where is he in the midst of, of my difficulties and my trials? Um, how to pray and gives you great practices to pray. So really would encourage you to do this uh, book, to read it, and join the book club if you want to. That would be fantastic as well. I'll be back there where the books are later. Yeah, I have to, I have to plug that too. We did um, a book club as a staff and then also uh, a separate book club. And it's the first time I've really gone through a book club that wasn't a fiction book about something fluffy and I would just really encourage you that it can be it can be scary to be vulnerable but the way that you impact on another as you walk through what you're reading about and process it with other people it like triples the effect so I'd really encourage you I think I'm going to sign up for it Good. I'm not just saying that because you're up here it's weird you're welcome 
Just make you feel better about yourself. All right, last one. <laughs> um, last one is we talked about this last Sunday is the Simplicity Women's Connection Study Group. Um, this is starting, the first meeting is next Monday, I believe. Um, and this is a seven-part teaching series that follows the practice of Jesus by living simple lives. And this isn't going to just cover stuff. It's going to cover your finances. It's going to cover um, your quiet time, your alone time. Um, and so it's going to be meeting on Zoom. So you're going to have two weeks to listen to the teaching, meet together on Zoom, and then you meet two weeks later. Um, I think there's about a dozen women already plugged in for that. So if that's something that would interest you, I would highly encourage you to do that. Um, it's really great John Mark Comer teaching, and he's really easy to listen to, very practical. So if you're looking for a way to get connected and you're a lady, jump on in. Great. Thank you very much, Christy. Super. One of the uh, privileges we have here as a church is that we get to do uh, community stories. And actually for me, one of the areas that I really like is, is doing these. And I, I asked Lauren Platt if he would come and he would share with us a bit of his journey. How many people here know Lauren? Look at that. Don't look, Lauren, just get up here. <laughs> um, and I had the privilege of connecting with Lauren a couple times. Last week, we went to the gym together and we, uh, we worked out. It was fantastic. And um, we went over what we're going to talk about. I didn't get to uh, write down the questions I was going to ask him. So I'm winging it, and he's, he's going to make sure that I do it right. <laughs> uh, Lauren. Hello. <laughs> great to have you up here this morning. Uh, oh, it's really great to be here. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit? I'm, there was lots of people that raised their hand that know you, but then there was lots of people that didn't. So who are you? Um, who's Lauren Platt? Um, I've been in this church for 23 years, and I've taught Sunday school, and in the community I teach uh, elementary school, and that's been great. Um, and I have two kids, and, uh, and two grandkids, uh, yeah, that's and a daughter-in-law, so that's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but last year I had a stroke in um, July, and it was a really big one, and uh, I was crushed by it because I was told that I would probably never walk again. And, um, and when that happened, I lost track of who I was. So I didn't know if I was still... I didn't know who I was, what I was, wh where my power came from, what power I had. Um, and of course, so I, I prayed about it, but I, I went to a pretty dark place. Um, and, um, and I had, like, obviously I had a stroke, so I can't walk and I can't do anything. And, but, and Lauren, just yep. on that note, um, before you go where you're going, because I yep, know where yep. you're going... Um, it's not like you were a wallflower just sitting around. You were a pretty active guy, right? Beforehand, yeah. Yeah, beforehand. Yeah, beforehand, I, I've done many athletic endeavors. I'm known as someone who uh, exercises a lot, has a clean lifestyle, and, and, and works really hard. 
So that's what I mean when I say I didn't know who I was. I probably could have told you that I'm a Christian and I'm praying, and I absolutely was. But other than that, I didn't know who I was, what my strengths would be, what I could do. Yeah, so this whole identity of, of being active and all of a sudden now... You can't walk, being told that you may never be able to walk, yeah. uh, struggling to get your words out. I remember going, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and even to talk because it affected your whole right side. Yeah, strokes affect people in widely different ways. So you, kn- you never know how a stroke will affect someone, and you never know what the long-term effects will be. Right, right. So. so one of the things you've done in your life was that uh, you've done you've done a couple Ironmans, and yep, if, yep. if anybody has ever done anything like that, you know that that takes a lot of dedication. It's a lot of work. It, it it it's a lot of drive. You have to have a lot of drive because it's an everyday thing that you do to actually get there to be able to compete. Um, so you find yourself in the hospital, and you're being told all of this. Um, yeah, emotionally, where are you? Um, emotionally crushed. Uh, I, I say it's. I now can say that it was a real dark time, and of course, everyone. I know you guys were praying for me, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm so thankful for everyone who was helpful. Um, so I, I knew that, and I knew that I needed to pray, but it just kept getting darker um, until one day I was physically sick, um, really sick, and up all night. And I had this really terrible thought. I thought, um, I'm not sure if I'm worth living. <laughs> so, you know, that's a depressive thought and a mildly suicidal kind of, because if you don't have any value, I didn't know if I had any value and what I had to offer to the community. So, but immediately... God told me that um, that I was worthwhile. I was here for a reason. <laughs> and I needed to tell five people in the morning. And through that, I realized that, you know, I'm in a dark place. And I need to bring that out to the light. And I need to use... I need for God to help me and all the people that God will put in my life. So in the morning, I told two nurses and I texted three friends so that everyone knew. And I told them to tell whoever I didn't care. So so everyone rushed to my aid and talked to me and, and, they, um, and they talked about how... Um, Maybe it's time for an antidepressant. And I thought, oh, geez, I'm not sure. And they said, you know, anyone who's had a life-changing situation should be on this. And I talked about my faith, and they said, well, that's great. Um, But maybe this can help God. And again, I thought of the time, I thought of thinking, you know, when God said, tell people, he'll put the people in my life. So through some discussion with with people, yeah. you, yeah. Um, I, 
you know, I realized that God can do all things and medication can help. So I went on the medication and the illness that I had, the sickness that I had cleared up enough for me to be able to get in a wheelchair and go to an exercise, go to an exercise program because I was in the stroke um, floor of Victoria Hospital. It was fabulous. And that's when I, with clarity of mind and I guess positiveness, I, I would like to think it brought out my positiveness. It cleared away the darkness and allowed me to shine and I believe shine God's light because I realized my purpose. It was to get better, to um, get myself better by, by talking to people and using anything that anyone can help me with. And then also shine my light out and talk to, pe talk to other patients, give them hope, talk to them about God and and um, so from there I was able to figure out who I was I'm a person of God I'm a hard worker I'm a positive person and if I can I, I could be helpful like maybe I could wheelchair over there and get that plate that someone needed so yeah that um, so through my hospital experience I slowly got stronger and became known as a worker and a helper. And, um, and uh, I've, I've learned, I learned to walk in the hospital. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and on a Sunday in Victoria, I would watch the sermon on the computer and lay in my bed and worship and think about how great it would be one day if I could walk into church. And that became my goal, to walk into church. And I would have done it anyway. Like, I would have pushed a, uh, a, walker. a, a walker. I would have, I walk with a cane. Um, anyway, if I could just stand up and do it. So every Sunday, while you guys were here, I was on the computer in my hospital bed or eventually in the... Um, in the wheelchair, um, but that was really great because I knew you guys were praying for me, and I, I eventually, eventually I said I could feel it, but in the dark times I could not feel right. anything. Right. In fact, in the dark times I wondered where he was, which is what led me to that negative self-talk, negative thought. Right. Um, and I, and that just showed me that, you know, God was with me every step of the way, but I needed a little, a little help. Right. So, so the antidepressants, you also mentioned that you did some counseling in yep, there yep, yep. as well. And, uh, and I think that, that, you know, I appreciate your story. I appreciate your honesty this morning um, because there are people here who are struggling. They're struggling with uh, different things in their lives they're going through. And hopefully today for them hearing your testimony, Lauren, it's been an encouragement to them. And I know Lauren is uh, open to chatting with you. Um, so please uh, talk. There's more to his story. There is more to his story. And it's still being written, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I, get, I joke and say, 
I um, had a stroke so I could get a year off work, but really, I'd, I'd ra- <laughs> I would rather be working, but um, I kind of like having to go to the pool and the gym every day. You know, it gives me a sense of purpose, but also it's... Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I went with fun. you. I saw both your drive, and uh, he goes to the rowing machine, and all of a sudden he's talking to a guy that's on the elliptical... Um, who has a cane and didn't know him. And before you left, he's giving you uh, beef hearts to eat. So, <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, fantastic. Hey, Lauren, um, I, I know there's more. But we're going to leave it there and invite people to come and, uh, and talk more with you. Sure. Um, because I know you're open to that. Yep, yep. But I do have five random questions. All right. Okay, are you ready? Ready. Uh, cheeseburgers or chicken burgers? Cheeseburgers. All right. Run, bike, or swim? A swim. <laughs> but it's close. I like them all. Okay. All right. Uh, teaching K- kindergarten or teaching grade three? Grade three. Blue or green? Green. Uh, going upstairs or down the stairs? Upstairs. All right. Uphill all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for our brother, Lauren. I thank you for the work you've done in his life. God, it has not been easy. It's not something he has wanted, and yet in it, you have been there. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for speaking to him. Um, Lord, thank you that this church has been walking with him uh, in this time, sometimes filling in the gap where he has not been able to be, but uh, we could be there for him. I thank you for his family and the support that they have been and are. Um, And Lord, that um, your story and his life is still not finished. You're still writing it. And may we as a church family continue to be part of it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's all right. <laughs> While you do that, I am going to uh, read some scripture before Simon comes this morning. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to John chapter 12. It is the story about Mary's, Mary anointing Jesus at Bethany. Starting in verse 1. John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him dinner. They gave a dinner for him there. Martha served him, and Lazarus was one of of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed his feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, 
but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's lovely, again, as always, to be with you here this morning. Isn't it a wonderful day? Isn't it glorious outside? Yesterday was, in the morning, was sun shining, and then did you get the hailstorms? Wow, where did they come from? And then again, it was all sunny and glorious again. We've been here for two weeks, my wife and I, just a little over two weeks, and we're beginning to get a sense of island life. We're settling in well. Um, we love you guys. We're, we're meeting a lot of you right now. Uh, we love the church. We love island life. Um, we've, I think we've adopted island life quite quickly. We've discovered Tim Hortons. <laughs> it's like you can't drive more than five minutes without passing two of them. But uh, I, I, I discovered these little apple fritters. And uh, oh, I've had to ban them in my, in my household because I just can't, I eat one, I've got to eat about, oh, Timbits. Wow. I could eat a box of like 25 of them in like just with a cup of coffee. So yeah, I, I feel I'm quite Canadian now. Uh, in, um, but the good thing is, one of the best things is, I don't know, do you, have you tasted a Cadbury's cream egg before? So if I could describe England at Easter time, it would, you know, England would taste of Cadbury's cream eggs. If I had, 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 had a taste, and uh, we just, someone kindly dropped them off, and I felt, you know, a little bit British again, having these Cadbury's cream eggs. So it's good, but we, we love it here. It's good, but we've traveled far, and uh, we've given up, like, everything we have, pretty much, to be here with you guys. And if I'm honest... I don't want to just go through, you know, the, the motions of being a pastor. My wife and I, my family, we've, we've come all the way to be here, to Vancouver Island. And I don't want to just dig up some old sermons or just go through the motions. But I want us to go on a journey together and discover Jesus Christ together. I want us to grow in our discipleship. I want us to grow together in what, what, it, what it means to, be, to, to abide in Jesus Christ, to have that indwelling life of Christ just begin to overflow in our lives and for us to get serious. What does it mean to, to be a disciple? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to really study the Word of God and for it to just flourish in our lives? And so I want us to do this together, to be serious together as disciples of Christ. Is that okay? Oh, man, I love it. Praise God. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you have got your Bibles, please, you know, turn to John 12, and let's open up the living Word of God together, and let's unpack it this morning. And so, John 12, we're going to be looking at the anointing of Jesus Christ with Mary. So a bit of context, we see that Jesus... Um, he's, he's heading towards Jerusalem with his um, disciples. And John and the other authors are beginning to paint a picture of Jesus, who Jesus Christ is. 
Christ's kingship is coming into focus here. We are entering into the shadow of the cross as Easter, that Easter weekend is looming. Last week, Scott talked about how uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And he mentioned that if Christ, um, he waited two days for Lazarus to die. If Christ had gone to Lazarus while he was still alive, well, perhaps he could have healed him. That would have been great. But he waited two days until he died so that he could go and he could raise him from the dead. Just demonstrating his deity. Just demonstrating the power he has over death and sin and highlighting who he truly is and his purpose of coming to earth. With the death of the Lazarus, the power of Christ over death could be demonstrated in front of his disciples and everyone else there at that time. And yet, even though people can witness the, the miracles of Jesus Christ, you get the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they still deny Christ as the coming Messiah. It blows my mind how we can see Christ walking on water. And, and raising people from the dead and performing these miracles and people still deny Christ. So they plan to kill him. It says in John eleven fifty seven, 57, but the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. So Jesus, after healing, raising Lazarus from the dead, goes up to Galilee for a little break. And in chapter 12, we see Christ comes back to Jerusalem. So let's look at this, my first point this morning. What does it mean where Jesus is being anointed here? Verse one, my first point. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. It says here, six days before the Passover. Jesus has arrived at Bethany and John is keen for us to understand that um, Lazarus is there. He wants us to kind of continue to understand that Lazarus is alive and Christ had done it. And it's a big deal. And we see here that pilgrims are traveling all over, all over um, to come to Jerusalem. You see, the Passover is a big deal. It's one of three festivals where you have to go to Jerusalem to celebrate it. So you've got the, the Passover is one. You've got Pentecost, which is the other. And you've got the Sukkot or the, the Feast of Tabernacles at the end of the year. And these three festivals, you were required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate it. And Jesus and his disciples are no different. And so they come to Jerusalem six days before this festival. And we see Christ is with his friends reclining at a table, just enjoying life together. Isn't it good where we can just enjoy life together as, as disciples of Jesus Christ? If Christ can do it with his friends, then it's good for us too. Let's do life together. Let's enjoy each other's company. Have people around our homes and just enjoy a meal. That's one of the beautiful things that we've discovered in two weeks 
We've met so many of you so far. We've been uh, for a dog walk to um, Lake Shemanus. I've, I've been for a walk on Mount Stony Mountain. Is that a, is that a place? Stony, Stony Hill. I've walked up Maple Mountain. We've walked up Mount Provo with other people. We've had meals together. It's good to enjoy life together with Christ. Jesus, that's what he's doing. He's just enjoying life, having a meal with his friends and his disciples. But John says six days before the Passover, the Passover was a big deal. What's so significant about the Passover? Well, it was a time when God's people remembered what God had done when they were in Egypt. So the people of God, they're in Egypt, they're in bondage, they're in slavery, and God frees them. He liberates them. If there's one word that could be used to describe Passover, it would be redemption. People have been redeemed. They've been set free from Egypt, and God has pulled them out. And I don't know if you remember the story, but during the time when they're in Egypt, the last plague was the plague of the death of the firstborn. And the angel of the Lord comes along. And in order for them not to be afflicted by this plague, they had to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and that they were free from receiving that punishment. And so the people of God celebrate this Passover, this, this freedom, this redemption they have with God. This ability now that they are able to be free to worship God and to serve the true living God. But this redemption comes at a cost. It comes, blood had to be shed. And so the timing of Jesus Christ coming to Jerusalem at the Passover, at this time, as we are entering the point where Jesus is going to go towards the cross, I think is fascinating. You see, the lamb that was slain in the Old Testament points towards the true lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It's pointing towards the true lamb that had to be slain and sacrificed for us. Why? Why would Christ do that? Because he loves us. As Lauren said, we have value. Christ loves us. Each and every one of us here this morning is loved so much, so passionately by God. He wants you. He, he wants you in, a, in order to, to love him back. He loves you. Never, ever underestimate how much you are valued by, the, by God. So this, the timing of this, I think, is just so exciting. The Lamb of God was shortly to be sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. So they're reclining at the table. The Passover is looming. Verse three, then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. And the house was filled with this wonderful fragrance. Scott read from the ESV, the English Standard Version, and it says, therefore, Jesus is coming for the Passover feast. He's at the table with his friends. Therefore, therefore, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus Christ. Mary, the, the sister of Martha, of Lazarus, gets this expensive nod and pours it on the feet of Jesus. What is nod? 
What is nard, you might be asking. Well, nard is an expensive perfume. It's not the sort of perfume you get from the market. It comes from a flower. I've got a picture of a flower in case you're interested in this sort of thing. There's a picture there. That's what it is. And this flower comes from the, the, the mountains, high up in the mountains of the Himalayas of China and Nepal and India. And so in order to get this flower, it's, it's, it's a long journey to get there. That's why it's so expensive. And it was generally used for people of high esteem, kings and really rich people. But it was also used for um, the burial. When you were about to bury somebody, it was the preparation. You'd use nard if you had the money to do that. So this isn't just a normal perfume, but it would have been expensive. It says in the Bible, it would have been around 300 denarii. Now, you get paid one denarii a day for work. So take away the Sabbath. That's 300 days a year you would work. And so three, a year's wages, how long would it take for you, for me, to save up a year's wages and have that cash in your hand? That's a lot of money. This perfume was expensive. And the disciples, Judas, wasn't happy that she just poured this away. Why did you waste that perfume on Jesus? Why did you waste your time, the perfume, the money? Why did you waste your worship, your adoration, your devotion on Jesus Christ? And Jesus says in verse 7, leave her alone. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. The word in the Greek for burial is actually the preparation of my burial, which is strange that Jesus would talk about this because when you anoint somebody, it's something to be celebrated. You would anoint someone because it was a happy occasion. It was a, a milestone in someone's life, a, a, a joyous time. So the fact that Christ is saying here that, listen, she's doing it in preparation for my burial is strange in itself. But we know, don't we? The reason why Jesus is saying it. I can imagine in his mind as he's heading towards the cross this week. This is at the forefront of his mind. The sacrifice of the Lamb of God is looming. And Jesus knows it. Verse 8. He says, listen, you will always have the poor. Leave her alone. You will always have the poor among you. But we will, you will not always have me. Just a side note, I don't want to get off track here because I want to focus on who Christ is. But Jesus says here that you will always have the poor. And I think that's something I don't want to just brush over. I want to just quickly talk about that now, just for two seconds. When people say you always have the poor, there's two ways that we can look at that. You can view it, some Christians view it, well, the poor will always be there. And so, do you know what? We don't have to do anything about it. Whatever we do, it's just going to be like a drop in the ocean, so don't even bother. And a lot of Christians have that mentality. Or the other way we could view that is that the poor will always be there, so we better roll up our sleeves and we better do something about it. It's going to be a long journey. It's going to be a hard slog, but every day we're going to have to just make sure that we're looking after the poor. Can't ignore this. And so that's what I hope we can do as New Life Church. I hope that's our mentality here. The poor are always going to be there. So let's roll up our sleeves and help along. 
And we have so many good charities and agencies that are already working with the poor, don't we? We've got Henry in the food bank in town. And I think, is Henry here this morning? Not here, but yeah, family is. And so help, let's, let's, let's support Henry in the food bank. I'm sure we do already. We've got new life in the office, Christy in the team, or Jesse are already doing so many wonderful things. We've got kids on in the road who are going into First Nations territory with Michelle and her team and Randy. We've got Duncan Christian School who are already helping, you know, um, to try and combat holiday hunger and many other things. And this morning, I got Emmanuel, I got uh, Emmanuel in recovery who go around in their van helping and supporting those who are hungry. There are so many good things that we could be doing. But that's not the point here of the passage. Christ is going through a special occasion. And this anointing was to remember a special event right now, a special person. As Jesus enters Bethany, he should have been greeted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the civic leaders of that time. They should have been welcoming Christ into Bethany, saying, here's the Messiah. We've just witnessed all of these fantastic miracles. We want to welcome, we want to anoint the coming Messiah this day. But they didn't. Even the disciples didn't fully understand what was going on. They rebuked Mary. The only person who understood what was happening that week was Mary herself. And she got this expensive nod. As you came in, I don't know if you noticed, there was a smell in the, in the, uh, in the foyer. We go out there, you might smell something weird. It's actually nod. I, I've got some nod here. This is real nod. If you want to smell what Jesus would have smelled like, I believe, this is, this is what he would have smelled like the week before. This is the closest I can get to what, understand what Christ would have been smelled like the week before he died on that cross. And apparently it lingers for days. If you put it on your clothes or your hair, it will smell for days. I'll leave it there if you want to have a sniff of it later. It smells nice. It smells expensive, you know. It's not, you can get it on Amazon. It's amazing what you can get on Amazon, right? <laughs> Thank you, Amazon. Other um, online shopping is available as well. <laughs> I put it on my hand in the week, Thursday, and I could smell it all day Thursday, all day Friday as I was driving along. I imagine Jesus Christ is being anointed in this oil, and as he's arrested, as he's beaten, as he's being crucified, I imagine that this would still be on his clothes and in his hair. This is what Jesus would have been able to smell, remembering that Mary had taken that time and that devotion to anoint Jesus Christ. He would have remembered that his calling was to die on that cross for each and every one of us so that we too could be redeemed. Are we getting a sense of who Jesus Christ is? John is wanting us to understand. He wants to reveal something of who Jesus is, his kingship, his power over death. The Jesus who walks on water, the light of the world, the bread of life, 
the Lamb of God is here entering into that time of the atonement. But John doesn't want us just just only understand who Jesus Christ is. He wants us also to question how are we responding to Jesus Christ in our own walk? What are we doing about our journey with Christ? He's saying, are you willing to trust Jesus? Are you willing to trust this man to devote ourselves to him fully, to surrender everything we have to Christ? John is saying, are we willing to trust and to surrender to this Messiah, Jesus, who many other people, even the religious leaders of the day, have rejected? They spent their whole lives studying the word, looking for the Messiah, and yet they still reject him. Sounds very similar to our society today. So many people reject Jesus Christ. John is saying, are you willing to accept him as your Lord? Mary was. So let's unpack how Mary surrendered all she had to Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is my second point, the surrender of Mary. Mark, in the Mark's passage, it says that um, Mary broke the alabaster jar and poured it over Jesus' head. What John says, his feet. I think it could have been both. There would have been so much of it. It could have anointed all of Jesus Christ. But I want to focus really on what Mary is doing here. She is anointing Jesus, but she's also washing his feet. Now, washing the feet of your guests would have been normal. Washing the feet and pouring an oil on someone's feet would have been refreshing. It would have been a normal thing to have done, but it would have been done by the lowliest of slaves or servants in the household. Jesus Christ himself does it with his disciples in the upper room just a few days later. Mary is surrendering everything she has in this act of total humility adoration she's coming before Christ and she's just worshipping him in the best way that she can I think it's such a profound message and it's one that we easily can read over and we can easily just pass over when we read the scriptures but this this form of worship of Christ is compounded by the fact that she dries his feet with her hair So she has this expensive oil. She pours it on his feet. She then looses her hair and dries his feet with her hair, which would have been a social taboo. Women did not let their hair down. It would have been a sign of loose morals. It would have been a sign of saying, hey guys, I'm I'm here. Come flirt with me. But Mary surrenders everything she has because she's just lost in that worship for her Messiah. She pours this expensive oil. It would have been so expensive for her. It could have, a year's wages. It could have been her inheritance, her pension. It could have been the money that she has for the rest of her life. And she'd given all for Jesus. 
She lets down her hair. Would have been, it would have been embarrassing. But she's so focused on worshiping Christ that she doesn't even care about what other people think about her. She's just lost in wonder and awe of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that she surrenders all she has to him. Let me ask you a question this morning. When we worship Jesus, are we bothered about what people think about us? Can I raise my hands? <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. What a guy. This guy should sit at the front every week. Can I kneel down? We were singing a song this morning about great is the Lord. Wow, wow, it got me. It brought me to tears because I pictured what Alana had pictured, the whole world just worshiping God in praise and adoration. Are we so focused on worshiping Jesus, God, that we just get lost in wonder of who he is? Are we distracted by people around us? I encourage you, come to church on time. Come 10 minutes early. Find a seat. Steady our hearts. Let's get ready to worship God. It was exciting this morning. Thank you, band. There's nothing better than just being lost in awe and wonder of Christ. That's what Mary's doing here. Verse 7, Jesus says, leave her alone. Jesus is praising Mary for her unselfish act of worship. This is arguably everything Mary has and she surrenders all to Jesus, her Messiah. But compare Mary to the actual civic leaders of the day, John 11, 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They want to kill Jesus. They want to get rid of him. So who are the chief priests and the Pharisees? Well, these are the civic leaders of the day. I've got a picture here of who they are. And we can see here that the, the, the Sanhedrin is made up of 70 members. And the majority of them, the chief priests, would have been the, the Sadducees. That's the majority of this committee. And the, the, the minority were the Pharisees. And they would have made the day-to-day -day decisions. They would have ran, you know, the, the, the civic affairs of Jerusalem at that time. And you've got the high priest here, who's Caiaphas at the time. And these are the religious leaders. And they want to go against Jesus Christ. Caiaphas was one of the leaders, is the leader of the Sadducees here. And at the time, the high priest should have only been in power for one year. And they take turns every year to get a new high priest. Caiaphas has been in power for 18 years. He doesn't want to let, con he doesn't want to let go of that control. He wants to keep it for himself. And he will do anything he can in order to keep that control. Even if it means killing Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. It says in verse 9 of chapter 12, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. I think there's a huge warning here. 
These are the chief priests. Okay, I understand they want to get rid of Jesus to keep control of their power, but to get rid of Lazarus, an innocent man, he's done nothing other than being raised, other than being a miracle. You see, sin leads to sin. They want to get rid of Jesus, but in order to do that, they've got to get rid of Lazarus as well. These are the chief priests. These are your religious leaders. And they're struggling to let go of control. They choose what the world has to offer over the eternal life and the indwelling presence of Christ in their own lives. Which one are we today? Are we a Mary where we're willing to let, let go and surrender all we have to Christ? Or are we a Caiaphas where we want to just do our own thing and keep all of the control in our own lives? My third and last point is I believe the Bible teaches us to surrender all to Jesus. We see this comparison between Mary and the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin wanted Jesus dead, but Mary gave everything she had to worship her Lord, her money, her time, her reputation, because she loved him so much. How much is Jesus worth to you today? It's funny, when I got married, I realized how selfish I was with my time and my, my money. And so I changed because I had to surrender some of myself. A happy wife is a happy life, right? I'm joking. She's there. She's not me doing the kids' work, so I can say things like that and not get into trouble afterwards. But, but when my kids came along, I realized how selfish I was with my time and my money. And so I had to surrender some of that time and money and sleep. When my kids had a, a nightmare at 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and I had to get up. I don't mind. I don't regret it because I love them so much. It was all worth it. And it is all worth it. And I count it as gain. And it's the same here with Mary and Jesus. She surrendered all of it. Did she regret pouring out a year's worth of money into this nod, into his feet? I No, I don't think she would have because she loved him so much. I've got a friend called Jack, and I won't share his full name, and you'll find out why in a minute. But Jack, when we knew him in our hometown in, in Dorchester, he had everything you could possibly want. He lived in this big, I want to say, I want to say manor, an English manor, English mansion. You know, you'd go into his house and you'd have these like seven doorbells in order to kind of reach different parts of the house. And you'd have a piano room. The piano room was the size of your lobby. And you'd go in and he'd be wearing his like velvet jacket, playing the piano. And he, he had just the grounds. We used to have church events. The whole church would come and just use the, his, his grounds. And from a world's point of view, he had everything. And he'd give it all up to be a missionary in Sudan, to live in a tent and eat grapefruits for breakfast. Why? 
because he surrendered everything to follow Christ. In order to follow Jesus Christ, we've got to let go. It's hard because sometimes we're all about control, right? We, We hold on to things, aspects in our lives. We want to let go. Sometimes when we let go and surrender ourselves to God, he wants to take things away. He does take things away. Like our pain, if we're going through pain or we're suffering, sometimes God takes that away from us. And what a gift that is. Other times, God doesn't take them away, but he has access into our lives, access into our anxiety, access into our pain. Are we holding on to something in our lives which we need to give to God this morning? Is it? Perhaps we want that perfect job. Perhaps we want to find the right boyfriend or girlfriend and that's all we're pursuing right now. We can't think of anything else other than I've got to get my perfect, you know, perfect love. Is it our health that we're holding on to? And I can't, Lorne, I thank you for your testimony this morning. What a wonderful testimony. How Lorne just gave it all to God and said, use me however you want. Even if I have a stroke, I will be honoring to God. Thank you. Is it our status, our reputation on social media? I think one of the biggest addictions right now is social media where we just strive for likes on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is. And I think it's destroying people's lives. Give it to God. Find our identity and our worth in Christ and not on social media. Give it to Him. Surrender it to Him. Is it some past pain that we've experienced and we can't let go? And it's just pulling us down and it's affecting our present and our future? Surrender it to Christ this day. What are we holding on to? We've got to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us of it and find out, put that searchlight in our lives and say, Jesus, it's for you. Have access in my life. You may not take it away today, but you have access to it. Jeremiah says, I engage my heart to seek the Lord. We are called to go deeper with God, to seek him with all of our hearts, Each of us are called to make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. But what does that look like? Jesus asked to give all of ourselves to him. And to be honest, it's a little bit scary at times when we surrender ourselves to Christ because we do like to have the control. We want to be our own drivers in the driving seat of life. It's hard to say to Christ, you are Lord of my life. That's what we do when we get baptized, right? We get baptized, we go under the water and we die to our old self. And when we come out of the water, we are alive. We have new life. Our old life is gone. We pick up our new life. Our old garments have gone. We pick up our new garments. Have you been baptized yet? Have you given your life to Christ? We're baptizing some people on Easter Sunday. What a day to be baptized. Resurrection Sunday, if you've not given your life to Christ, if you've not surrendered all to Him, 
If you've not been baptized, then Easter Sunday is the day to do it. I welcome you. Come and see Scott or myself or Alicia. I want to be baptized. I want to make Jesus Christ Lord of my life. I want to die to myself. And I want to make Christ Lord of my life. How do we do that? There's a passage. If you've got a Bible, please turn to Mark 8. And we'll finish with this. Mark 8, 34. Get your Bibles. Get a highlighter. Highlight it. I've got a permanent little bookmark in here. It reminds me every day. Mark 8, 34. He says, Then he came. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Such a hard message, but Christ is calling us to surrender all we have, to follow him, to deny ourselves, which is the opposite message of what the world says. The world would say, you are are a wonderful person. Christ says, deny yourself and you're nothing. I am everything for you. I love you. You are so worthy. You've got so much worth. I love you so much. But we have to deny ourselves. Take up our cross. And we have to follow him every day. Hey, let me encourage you. Let me finish here this morning. Don't be a Caiaphas. But let's be a Mary and continue to surrender all we have to Jesus. I'm going to invite some people. I've got a prayer team to come this morning. We've got Jillian and Stephen. and I think we've got Tracy and a few others that you know, Byron, are going to come out this morning to the front. And the band are going to just lead us in a time of worship now. And if there's something in your life that you want to surrender to Christ today, something that you're just not able to let go and it's hindering you and you're growing in your, in your relationship with Jesus, as the band lead us in a time of, of, of praise, of worship, come to the front. And we've got some really godly people and they will just pray with you this morning. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But if you do want to come for prayer, these guys are there for you this morning. Let's stand and then let's worship and sing our song, our final song this morning. I surrender all to Jesus.